Aloha kako everyone and a happy Sunday and I'm stoked to say I've got a special guest today, Kiani Rollins Fernandez. Hi Kiani. Aloha. How you been? Good, busy. Just got back from a planning conference on Kauai. Right on, right on. Well, we'll have much to talk about in a second. I got a couple announcements to make. Uh, Pro Arts Theater has got White Rabbit, Red Rabbit opening next weekend, I believe. We got all these crazy different people that are doing it. I don't know if you've heard anything about this county, but it's a it's a different person every night. No rehearsal. And so they've got everyone from like Hoku Paval, Jonathan Yudis, Kathy Collins. They're all taking a stab different nights of the week. Oh, fun. Yeah. And so and then if you go more than once to see a different version, you get half off for go. So oh, uh, definitely worth nice. checking it out. Yeah. And it's it's a pretty cool show. It's it's toured a lot uh, across the mainland. A lot of good reviews about the show and its content and what puts the actors through and the fun the audience has. So definitely worth checking out. Also, uh, we got uh, volunteers being sought for the 18th annual Lahana Town Cleanup. Saturday, September 4th, registration begins at 8, and the cleanup will go from 8 to noon. All right, so now we got some things that actually Kiana can help us out with. So it turns out there is a advisory committee. So this South Mountie community plan thing coming Tuesday, what's this about? Yes, so we uh, last year we completed the update for the West Maui Community Plan. And so now we're uh, working on updating the South Maui Community Plan. Uh, and it's, you know, it's been, I think, a little over 20 years since it's been updated, Oof. which is not as bad as I learned on Kauai, which is their plans are over 50 years old. Uh, I've noticed sometimes, especially in communities that have, formed more rurally in the you know i, I mean it's kind of mm-hmm. people don't realize how much like boilerplate was just like left in place when we were made a de facto <laughs> state so when we finally became able to inherit these things we didn't realize that there were more squeaky wheels than we initially mm-hmm. saw yes so the um advisory committee the committee uh south maui community plan advisory committee uh has scheduled its first meeting for october 19th Right on, right on. Anything, anything juicy in there that the folks can look forward to in discussion? Reasons to show up. See, you know, I I find that like getting people to engage. If there's if there's at least one tempting soundbite about this that would make people want to like come and participate in it, what what would it be? Ooh, um, so it's it's determining land use. How how many more um, hotels? You know, the South Maui want how many more visitor accommodations versus how many more housing and what kind of commercial. Um, so it's, it's those kinds of designations that it's determined by the community. Right on, right on. Uh, I also hear you, uh, you're happy to announce some bike tour regulations. Yes. So um, on, what is that? September 20th, uh, we'll the council will be taking up on first reading a proposal on regulating bike tours up country, uh, limiting them from um, 
to being above the three mile mark. And that way the, you know, the um, guided and unguided bike tours aren't mixing with our residents commuting to work or dropping off their kids. And it's been really frustrating for a lot of the community members who are also afraid for their safety. Uh, we just um, took up a settlement where uh, one of the bike tour riders um, is now a paraplegic. Hmm. Wow. That's, that's, yeah. that's pretty serious. You know, I don't, I don't think people think about like, I mean, Everybody wants the majestic view and the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the story to have on their vacation, but people don't think about like the safety of doing things like this. I find that it's, it's extremely common in the uh, adventure sports industry in Hawaii in general. Um, I mean, I personally, you know, being someone who's moving back, I'm trying to understand like where, where the, the problems are and understanding like what's coming in with it. I do kind of, get it from the perspective of growing up in Southern California. We, we kind of grew up in this like backcountry part of the County. And it was like this training ground for bicyclists. And there were a lot of rural zones that we drove through to get home. And it was, it, you know, it was quite more of a problem than it was. Like, we never thought about like, what does this do to society if these guys can't bike? So like, I mean, I'm all for everybody having their space, but I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, to get lost on a ramble already about something that's not completely the item <laughs> of the day. I don't know. Small things like this get the the little bureaucrat in me excited to a degree because, like, I will have to tell you that, uh, like, I stand for things like this. Being someone who was actually in a bicycle accident and was on a bike and got hit mm. by a car. And, so. you know, really, um, the ultimate solution to this would be having a safe bike path. Yes. Um, but, you know, like, uh, the... It's, it's the state's highway. The state is uninterested in um, paving a bike, bike path for uh, the bike tours and, and bicyclers, um, bicyclists uh, who are our residents um, and the, you know, bike tour industry is not interested in, you know, paying for this bike path either. So we're kind of at a standstill where no one wants to, you know, achieve that ultimate solution. Well, I, I hope you guys get it. Uh, you know, especially with like all the tourism opening up or doubling up on top of the already opened up. Um, but that's more at another time. So uh, let's let's try to let's try to cover some some local stuff that you have some some great points of view on and uh, can give some insight to our listeners. Uh, I I hear that there's a uh, an acquisition that's trying to move forward for the Lahaina Crossroads. Could you fill us in on that? Yes, the Lahaina Crossroads, a lot of the residents there, um, you know, are low to moderate income, um, and many, you know, on, on fixed income. And, uh, you know, when this uh, news broke, uh, it was all over, you know, uh, it was being covered all over. And the community reached out, you know, desperately, you know, asking um, government to step in and help the, the new uh, buyer or the buyer, the new owner wanted to uh, use the facility for for vacation rentals. And so the council passed a resolution urging the mayor to take action. And uh, it looks like the mayor has and uh, will be receiving a budget amendment uh, to discuss the acquisition of the Lahaina Crossroads um, on also on uh, September 20th. It'll, it'll likely go to committee, so we'll have a lot more discussion 
on uh, the, you know, the price and uh, the need and, and where the funds will come from. So um, for those that, that don't listen to the, the regular uh, Hawaii election special segments uh, that I've been putting, because we have some listeners that listen to the regular show that are on the mainland that are Kanaka that support the show and are also trying to understand Hawaiian politics and what's mm-hmm. going on on each island. Um, and so, like, this is a soundbite that I'm going to be asking from everyone for a million times to reiterate. But, like, why is this important that we put these, at least these, you know, these stops, moratoriums, or at least regulations on a constantly booming um, travel tourism industry? That's, that's- yeah. I, I think you said it um, many times in in previous shows. I mean, how many of our people have been priced out as economic refugees? Absolutely. That's like a, everybody's story on the mainland. I mean, that was the unifying mm-hmm. marker of growing up Hawaiian on the mainland. Like, you got noticed by all the other Polynesians because you parted a bunch, you know, like that Calabash court. But, like... There was just that, like, once you found another, like, you, another Kanaka that mm-hmm. understood, like, there was just this whole breakdown. Like, and I didn't even realize that when I grew, like, 20 years later out of high school, like, talking to, like, kids I grew up with, that how much it was visible then on me from my mm-hmm. more progressive friends. And then they realized the tendencies, uh, how how I had changed when, you know, being able to relate on the subject. And I feel that there's a lot of kids that still have this conversation going on in their homes on the mainland today. And it's, mm-hmm. I feel that to a degree, we could, we could see more support for it in Hawaii if we had more education about it abroad for those that mm-hmm. are disconnected and in, in refugee status, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because it's not just um, those that leave, it's then their line. And, you know, it's 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 amazing that you made it back home because a lot a lot of the you know next generations don't. No, I, I, I agree with that solemnly. I I think it's 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 a struggle. You know, I, I know a lot of guys going the opposite way and going, why are you why are you moving back? I just I just moved yeah. to L.A., man. We could rule the world from from Hollywood out here. And I'm like, no, no, bro. The, the real life is here and we, we can't we can't leave it behind. I mean, I feel that we're we're finally at a tipping point. Do you do you feel that there's like a closeness more than we've ever been? You know, even though the world kind of feels like it's burning closer to, you know, 20 seconds to midnight. But like, I feel that we're we're at a point in society where there's just enough people on the right side that we, we can push these things forward. I agree. There's a lot of people in the right places right now in the right positions um, that will help us to make that space to bring more of, you know, those in the diaspora home. Mm-hmm. So um, outside of the line of high and crossroads, things are, heating up again with Ma'alaya. So, like, this has been hot, cold, on, off. And then, uh, you know, um, sources have been commenting recently that they're, like, the mayor more or less knew that it was in escrow by the time that, like, the county was interested. Or, like, how could... Could you enlighten us on that? (laughs) Okay, I'll try to make it as brief as possible. Um... So the, the Spencer's, uh, Spencer family 
you know, owns that parcel, Pohakea uh, Watershed, so in Ma'alaya. And um, we, the council has been, uh, we, we were looking to purchase uh, that parcel. We put money into the budget. And then uh, the mayor started moving forward with negotiations. Uh, more money was eventually needed. There, there was some switching of uh, trust, land trusts. So it was uh, initially the trust for public land, and then it was uh, uh, taken over by uh, Hawaii Island Land Trust. Uh, and the negotiations, in the negotiations, there, there needed to be uh, additional funds. So in this budget of uh, this calendar year, um, we added more funds. And sh shortly after that, uh, <clears throat> the Spencer family sold it to uh, Peter Martin. And uh, that, for us, came out of nowhere for the council. We weren't expect expecting that at all. And it was at a lower price. Yes, um, at a lower <laughs> price. I was just about to say that. I think that that's the thing that, like, it that kind of stunk to me from, from the outside looking in was that, you know, if, if this was really to be held as something that was, like, above board and, and going forward already, like, I feel that this... this <laughs> Too much stinks of uh, backroom deal, and mm -hmm. and there wasn't really enough known to to the council or at least to the people in general. And and I feel that like to a degree, this is another one of those like cases where the land developers kind of get you guys to spin up your wheels, and then it's all but too late. But do you think yeah. that there's still a chance now with this uh, uh, this eminent domain play? <clears throat> yeah, so, <clears throat> sorry, um, with the eminent domain, um, you know, the county would would still have to pay fair market value, uh, which can either be decided on with the um, landowner, or it'll end up going to the courts uh, if, if the landowner is unwilling. Um, so that it, it passed unanimously in committee, and it'll be going to the full council uh, for a vote. Um, some of the comments that were made was that, you know, you know, Peter Martin is a developer, so he builds housing and that there is not that support uh, for housing there. It's not a it's not a good place for housing. It's it's very fire prone um, and the watershed there uh, needs to be restored so that it stops the erosion uh, from covering the reef. Yeah, so, like, not only the erosion, but, like, didn't we just recently have problems with runoff out there? So, like, mm -hmm. is putting more homes any more effective to that ecosystem? Yes, exactly. Mud floods. Not good. Not good. So, um, I feel there's a lot of stink we could talk about today, but I kind of want to cover a few more things with you while we've got time. Um I I have been learning as you know in in my in my process of moving back on uh, you know where 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 are the small fights where are the hills that are people dying on where's what's what's interestingly going on in just the general ethos of the community and where do I relate as the media and like these next couple subjects um I. I I've kind of been lurking on the armchair when it comes to the Honolulu civil beat discussion. Um, mm -hmm. And just because I feel that 
finally talking about it it's kind of like uh, if anybody's actually listening from them it's a shots fired i guess but like i i just like i feel that especially from looking on the outside as someone moving back slash someone who's spent more time reading city news than rural news and kind of like finding the adjustment in between that i i can see that like maybe on the like 20 percent of the time there's someone over there that's like generally just doing good old-fashioned muckracking but like it does kind of slope towards the needs of the advertisers a little too often uh and in such a weird degree that like it's caused civil beat to kind of give some backwards messages occasionally because it has people that will go out and try to stand up for good things support good mm-hmm. journalism but then like a slew of new coverage. And so I bring this up because we, we have uh, we have a Grinch in Paia. And, and I think it's befitting because we might as well just call it because it's, it's almost Christmas season. So let's just activate, you know, pumpkin season, spice season's already here. Let, Grinch season's here. And Baskin be thy name. So uh, we can call him Baskin. We can call him the Grinch. Uh, you can call him whatever you like. So that way, <laughs> however you like the sound bites on this matter. But I, I got more interested in in the discussion of him and kind of like correlatively HCB because he kind of like in this recent coverage of him and his just, you know, there's there's so many things to say about this man and I can't think of any positive adjectives out the gate, but I will say that there was quite a slant to make him feel like an oh pity me person and knowing what's in the chatter in the community like so hearsay aside what what is i mean what's i mean your take council i mean a member of the community just person at large on maui what's your whole point of view on the matter going on in paia with this guy yeah you know so it- our um, Maui-based Civil Beat reporter, um, she is amazing. But the um, person, the reporter that did this story was a Hawaii Island-based. Um, and she interviewed me and I tried to give her as as much um, information without trying to, you know, influence um, how she landed and also connected her with some of the community members in Pa'ia so that she'd be able to um, hear from, you know, those that are being directly impacted by the bad behavior that's been going on for years. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, like you said, uh, where she landed, um, you know, there was a lot of pushback on social media, uh, rightly so. Um, there's, there's a bill going through the planning commission. Uh, it, it'll be coming back to the council soon and it's to keep the, uh, tourist accommodations at status quo. So -hmm. whatever is currently operating would continue to operate. Uh, There was discussion in council um, because of how the process works with the planning commission review that in order to consider amendments, they must review, the commission must review it in order for council to make those amendments. And we received testimony um, with consideration to align with the Pa'ia Ha'iku community plan in not having any hotel um, development in that district. And so the proposal was to remove the language while the commission reviews it. 
And that way, when it comes back to council, we can, you know, then make that decision on whether to allow for that one operation. So that's put you in uh, to continue in that district or to be in alignment with what the community plan states, which is no hotel development in that district. Um, and, you, you know, like you said, uh, it, it, he became framed as the, as the victim in this story of this legislation. He has a special use permit to operate Paia Inn, uh, and it uh, expires in about seven-ish years. And w- I just saw that he has Paia Inn on uh, the market for sale. Uh, without disclosing that the permit for its use as uh, an inn ends soon. And so really this was to preserve the value uh, of of that property so that he can maximize his profit. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm glad you kind of made that point right there because it, it really felt that in the HB, in, in the Civil Beat article, he... Uh, he he does a little of that, uh, but I'm Kama Aina Boohoo stuff, mm-hmm. and you know there. I feel that there's a place. There's there's quite a few folks that get naturalized into community. That we go, you know what? You're right, brother. You know, um, there there's always that one guy that gets a hood pass. But I feel that like people who say that they have a hood pass and obviously don't need to check themselves because then like knowing something like this that it's still on the market, then it's like, well. If you're trying to sell it, then what's your real investment in the community? You know, I mean, you'd want to stay here. You'd want to be a part of it. You want to try to make amends, make things work. But I think in the laundry list of complaints outside of just, you know, this, the zoning, legislation on him, the way he's acted as a business owner generically, the way that he's treated people about in the community, I, I just don't think, I mean, he's kind of fighting an uphill battle if he wants to make anything out of this. Exactly. I mean, he racked up over $500,000 in violations. So it, it, he's, he's not, you know, he's a bad actor in, in continuing to, you know, have um, what is it, weddings uh, that's not permitted on the property uh, to just continue to um, have, um, I think it's like luau's um, or just, you know, loud parties. I feel that that's kind of a shame in those categories because then like some people get work and then this is where we end up in that like cyclical colonial problem of like, oh, but that guy wouldn't give me work. So I got to like stand up for him. But then like all we're ever going to get is bad work now, you know. Mm-hmm. And so and I, I, I like I, my heart goes out to some of the people that may have not known how they got into that gig. But then there's some people that I've kind of found that like know very well what's going on and we're just trying to make their quick buck and duck out. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it just, it feels that there's no real effort being made on his end to think about his neighbors or the people around him. Yeah. Yeah. a good neighbor. Yeah, exactly. It's as simple as that. Just be a good neighbor. Because I got (laughs) to say that like for being in the entertainment industry, there's a lot that you can get away with on Maui if everybody's in on the game and you're mm-hmm. nice to everybody. You know, like, I've woken up neighborhoods at 4 a.m. and Auntie be like, what the hell's going on out here? And we go, oh, sorry, Auntie, we're making one movie. And then it ends with us, like, having breakfast because, like, oh, here's a crafty card. You know, bring the whole family over. And then, we, you know, we talk it out and things happen. But I feel that, like, that's kind of, like, long overrun its chance 
for like small mm-hmm. make amends problems with with him and why I feel that he's kind of fit into this Grinch category because he's kind of beyond the like I've made my effort part of his his gamble. Mm-hmm. Yep, you said it. <laughs> So, uh, speaking of other gambles, uh, you know, and, and this, this is kind of got coverage <laughs> from other people, but I'm still, I'm still trying to, because like, I, I heard my, my grandparents talk about this a bit because they were kind of like the only ones that ever like kept up with local politics while we were stationed abroad. And so like, I kind of knew that there was some crony history throughout Maui and what was going on and then so like recently some of this comes to light with with Milton Choi and Stuart Stant and uh I was I was really hoping like I'm, I'm glad you you brought this up to discuss because like I recently hadn't thought about attacking because I I just I need more time to read into it and be able to discuss it and so like as someone a part of the system like where where is your purview on this and how does this kind of like affect the perception of politics on Maui because like I feel that that's like half the hardest reason to get anybody to vote for anyone these days mm-hmm. and then there's also that you know there's so much slant in the media that makes people unaware of like you know is this an isolated incident? How has this affected other things? Are there things that will be, you know, I, I can't like get too hot button on it by saying like, you know, blink twice if there's something you can't say, but <laughs> like, you know, what, what are your thoughts on the matter? Yeah. I, you know, it's, um, you, you said it like perfectly where it continues to erode the trust and confidence that our public has has in our, you know, in elected officials and in government officials. Um, and, and that's the, the heartbreaking part uh, because there are so many really hardworking county employees that then get overshadowed when these types of, of you know, scandal arises because there's a lot of really good employees that um, are doing the right thing. And then you have, you know, some that will then... Um, show up like this and so Milton Choi is the same business owner uh, that was involved in the bribery with uh, Senator Kalani English and um, Representative um, Cullen and and so uh, Stuart Stant was uh, formerly the uh, wastewater division's chief, uh, and then uh, under the Arakawa administration, he became the director of the Department of Environmental Management. And, um, you know, what's so far uh, been reported by the FBI is they've uh, found that uh, there's been about $2 million in financial benefit um, through, um, you know, uh, Vegas chips, so um, gambling chips, um, trips to Vegas. So, you know, the airfare, hotel, uh, those kinds of things being paid for uh, by Mr. Choi. And the benefit to him uh, was receiving very lucrative contracts. And I think the um, the report was about $19 million worth of contracts. Oof. And yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, um, it's 
we have procurement law and procurement means that everything uh, is re required to be an open process where the RFP, so the uh, re request for proposal is posted on the website. And then that way all vendors, all contractors have an opportunity to provide a, a bid, a proposal uh, to meet the needs as stated in the RFP. And this process was not done in awarding the contract to um, Milton Choi, uh, his, his business called H2O Process Systems. Um, he was awarded through a different process uh, called sole source or no bid. And so it was just granted directly to him without it being a public process. So yeah, so that's like a burgeoning problem that I'm finding across the United States, and then it's kind of filtering into to rural regions like Maui, like this, the the this cronyism problem that we have with unattended features inside of small government, you know, because like part of this sounds like they managed to expedite the process using gray area techniques, mm -hmm. and then they reaped extra benefits from it. So like that there there was there was a point where all parties had to be aware that they were skipping the line and and, and making a dirty deal especially after everybody gets paid but like I feel that there's there's a lot of people that get like sucked into this system and I'm still trying to figure out whether it's maybe a combination of all or just one we have people that are obviously trying to take advantage of a system for their own capital gain to people that get misled into thinking that they're doing things for the better, because these are things that I'm, I'm certain that we both encounter, you know, especially like I, I kind of ran into a bit uh, with, you know, doing all of these political interviews was understanding like where, where people thought that they could do certain things versus mm -hmm. what they, they shouldn't be doing or what kind of conversations that you can have on and off the mic and, and how they can and you can work towards and lobby things in a community like we can between each other on air or off air. But how do you draw that line and how do you make sure you're doing it ethically? Absolutely. Um, and, and you nailed it. It's, you know, that gray area um, where you can kind of maneuver ways that it, it's still considered legal uh, in, you know, in granting these no bid contracts. Um, they put in a system where the um, equipment could only be replaced by this one business. And so, you know, when you're deliberately installing a system that no one else uh, is able to, to replace uh, the, the maintenance work, uh, the repairs, so uh, any, any replacements, um, you know that it's guaranteeing this one business all the contracts. Yeah, and, I, and I'm finding that a lot of these things are now being discovered or looked into because we're finally seeing an end to to certain political eras. And as people mm -hmm. leave, like, I think that there's there's certain things that were just, like, left going that they thought, like, oh, it's in place. I get out. Not my problem anymore. So you, you now have people that, like, mm -hmm. their dirty deed is buried in the backyard of the public forum and they're just like crossing their fingers that it doesn't get discovered now. Cause mm -hmm. I find that like, as I talk to more and more of those involved in the current regime, I mean, there, there's some people that like, I, I kind of like wonder like, 
are you really all there on the matter or are you just your time is way too split so you don't have any cares on it uh you know or some people that are like so hardly dedicated to it that even though they are from the lacking community effort as seen by you know votership mm-hmm. and attendance that like even some of the people in that get caught in the gray area that are kind of on the on the the, the light side of it kind of get some of the fallout too so what it, what does this do to the public perception of the county council and the mayor's office yeah um you know that that's i think shining light on all of this and making things as transparent and accessible as possible uh, will help to to combat what's been happening um so you know like this happened between 2012 and 2018 um, and new regime, like you pointed out, and part of uh, what I was working on and uh, the, the council is supportive of is um, having all the budget. So where the money is going, you follow the money and you, you make that all transparent and accessible for the public to be able to look through. Um, and I, I think that will help to you know, increase the, the, the public confidence in, in government again. Well, thank you for stopping by today. Uh, glad to have you on recently to catch up on your campaign. Great to have your point of view on what's going on in the community. And, uh, you know, as our schedules align, I would look forward to having you on again. Uh, you're a great voice for the people, you, you know. And even when I, uh, I try to pick sides on stuff, you do a really good job at sticking to your source material, which is very important for a person of your prestige mm-hmm. and position. So uh, I, I thank you for that as well. It is always a pleasure, and I look forward to talking story with you more. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today, Kiani. Kiani Rollins-Fernandez, everyone. Aloha. Aloha. fast-paced world where many people are too busy to sit down and read books or news articles. But thanks to Newsly, you can now listen to the news you wish you had the time to read. By utilizing AI technology, a natural human voice reads you the news, helping you grasp the information faster and more efficiently. Newsly provides the latest news updates 24-7, letting you browse articles from topics you choose. It even has podcasts, including ours. And listeners of Rabbit Holes can get their first 30 days of premium for free, allowing you to enjoy an ad-free experience by using the special promo code in our episode description. So download Newsly today for free on iOS and Android or visit www.newsly.me so you can stay updated on the things that matter to you. So much covered. Thank you again, Kiani, and uh, great to have her on, her point of view. Looking forward to have more members of the community on to talk about the news from their point of view and report on it, on how they fit in the matter. Um, But enough about all of the serious stuff. Let's dig into the fun stuff. Um, So just uh, a little entertainment coverage before we call it a week. 
Uh, turns out they even amid all of the HBO Max content that's being cut that a boy Keanu Reeves is going to return for a Constantine sequel. Now, there's quite a few people out there that's kind of got their uh, their stuffs in a bunch because uh, they they were really keen on seeing uh, the uh, the television Constantine finally get his due. But I really, I personally didn't think that, that was ever going to, I like him, uh, but it was kind of like a sign of his end when they sent him off to DC's Legends of Tomorrow. So that was kind of like the sign that he's an also ran uh, version of Constantine. Uh, I'm really glad that we went with a separate Constantine in um, uh, in Neil Gaiman's uh, recent piece on Netflix uh, with Sandman, but uh, it's going to be good. To go back to Constantine with Keanu Reeves, I think that like it, it did get a little bit of criticism in its time, but it's one of those those iterations that kind of like when you take it at the face value of like what it did for the more occult side of comic book films, it like it opened up a lot of stuff. I really like Pruitt Taylor Vincent. It I like everybody, and it, and then that's the thing is like I don't really see a lot of people anti this Constantine anymore and a lot of people are excited for it personally I am too uh, I think it's cool that Keanu Reeves this to me him returning as Constantine is probably more important than him returning as Neo in the Matrix I think we've gotten enough stories from the Matrix and I'm kind of glad to see that we're gonna go back to hell and uh, it's gonna I think it's gonna be interesting well you know let's just hope they don't shoot the whole thing and then uh, destroyed for taxes, like everything else at HBO, Warner Brothers, etc. But uh, enough about the hype on that. Uh, I watched the What We Do in the Shadows finale, and I gotta say, um, it's the sellout season, you know. Now, and I don't like readily say that phrase, but in the great formula of things, personally, as as a writer, in the way that I see it, like it looks like they're doing a heavy amount of just overall retconning in order to ensure that certain characters stay on their formula path every season. So do I really think that Guillermo is going to come back next year and be a vampire? Probably not because, I mean, they got us so close to it, like the whole, oh, and we will go down to the Tigris River and I will make you a vampire. And I thought that, like, that bromance with Nandor was going to get so deep that he was actually going to become a vampire. But then I think that that's half the meta joke is that they're like, they're constantly luring you in with every season. And then the season premiere is this big joke of, did you really think we were going to do that? But I think that there's a certain point after so many seasons, you have to have a payout. You really do. So I think that like sooner or later, if they really want people to stick around, there's got to be, you're going to be looking at, Character changes, people shifting off of the show. So then it's like, if Guillermo doesn't become a vampire anytime soon, he's got to leave the show. Like, by, like if I was show running this thing, like, that would be the thing that I'd solve by, like, season four or five because we'd have to move on to another gimmick to get everybody back every season. There had to be something sweeter than that. And I, I just don't think that they have found the sweet spot yet. Uh, what can be the new reason for everybody coming back. So, I mean, the baby Colin thing, it, it was funny to a point. I'm glad that they accelerated him growing up and it ended by the end of the season. Um, I really feel that that's the only thing that they kind of 
established right like throughout the the whole season arc was you know how does how do we have something fun with Colin's character and then just like immediately go back to Colin that payout right there that was about where it should have been but I feel that there's just so much that we waste that could be accomplished with um, Guillermo that just isn't but we'll see um, aside from that reservation dogs. Bro, this week, this week was really good for Res Dogs. Um, we got kind of like a solo episode for uh, Zon McLarnon, which like he's uncle's getting a lot of work. I got to say, get him, uncle. You're doing a good job out there. Loved you in Longmire. I thought this episode was really interesting in the fact that it wove together real life satire spirituality and horror all into one it just the how everything managed to work into one a cohesive story was just great and i think that this is like the episode that really serves as like a a, a good a good mark uh, on Uncle's career. So, really good episode of Res Dogs. If you haven't caught up on it yet, guys, you need to. Half the people I'm talking to are like, I like it, but I just, I haven't even finished season one. It's like, bro, make the time. Make the time. I did also make some time to uh, keep up with She-Hulk. Uh, you know, they, uh, they're they finally into the mix of what it's like to be in a regular She-Hulk issue. So, her going to battle for the trademark on her name is such a she-hulk meets ali mcveal problem that i thought that like that that's that's what i signed up for that's what i expected from she-hulk so well done worth it uh i also caught the handmaid's tale premiere still haven't watched the second episode of it but i gotta say that like with the way that we tied things up at the end of the last season and the fight for gilead america at all and the uh just the slaughter of the commander in the middle of the night. Ah, wow. Um, they, we're, at, we're very much at a where do we go from here point. But I feel that the team over there has a lot in mind for the story. So I don't, I, don't see, I don't see too many shark jumps, but I feel that there's some that will come in order to really pay off for, for Offred's story and for everyone around them and, you know, her going back in again. So I I just, I think that it, it really, the more important value of this show is to continue the conversation of what we could become and we're watching out for. But I feel at the same time, it's also at a certain jump scare value with its viewership. So it has a few things that it's going to have to hit there formulaically at this point in its career in order to keep people tuning in uh i do feel that some of the shot styles are getting a little overdone at this point though uh but that's kind of the style of show so like what else am i supposed to expect but that aside it's been a it's been a good week here uh you know but back to the grind and more hope to catch up with you soon as i get more interviews with candidates uh on the next part of their campaign trail uh talk with some more council members and see where the news takes us on maui stay tuned catch you later aloha <gasps> rabbit holes is a manava cow production this episode was produced by Kitika Hoke and Sarah Rodriguez. 
Make sure to subscribe and follow on your favorite podcast platforms to add our weekly episodes to your queue.